Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is uh, Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into a conversation that many people have probably had um, over the last uh, couple of years, especially if you are in the world of, uh, you know, working, learning, business, all of those different aspects of our lives in one way or another, things are being done um, remotely, you know, so you know when it comes to all that um, one of the big questions you know is to say is this really the future that's what people have been talking about I'm wondering you know where are we going you know where did we come from um, a lot of employers trying to push to have their people um, coming back to work whereas others are saying that it's fine the genie is out of the bottle you know we might as well get people you know to have you know those flexible work hours work days and all of that so for today, that's the conversation that we will be having. And uh, we are going to be uh, talking to someone who actually started um, a company that was remote first, um, you know, for some time. And uh, his name is uh, Liam Martin. And he's actually um, authored a recent book just around um, remote working and actually how to successfully do that. Liam is actually joining us from Montreal over in Canada. Uh, so it will be interesting to hear. Yeah, you know, some of those, uh, you know, interesting insights from another part of the world as we, you know, just, you know, see and hear um, what actually happens and compare and contrast what's happening here in South Africa versus um, what's actually happening in other parts of the world. Get a different point of view on the matter. Liam, greetings to you today. Thanks for having me. Um, I think a good place for us to start, um, you know, we say that you have, uh, you know, you you co-founded a uh, remote first company. Can you give us a little bit of insight around, you know, that company, the business model, how you decided it was going to be remote first uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's discussion? Sure. So, we have team members in 43 different countries all over the world. We are what's called, as you said, a remote first organization. So we hire remote first, meaning we are open to hiring people inside of an office, but we believe that remote work is actually a more efficient business model for the operations of our business. So therefore we hire people all over the world, including actually 17 team members throughout the continent of Africa based off of my data that I was just looking at here. So we don't care where you're located. We just hire really good talent all over the world. And what business is it? Uh, the company's called Time Doctor, which is a time tracking tool specifically for remote teams. And then we also run a conference called Running Remote, which is the largest conference on building and scaling remote companies. All right. So you've sort of been in this uh, remote game for a while. How long has it been uh, in terms of uh, operating the company? So I hate to tell my age on this one, but the company has been in operation for 11 years and I actually have been working remotely for almost 20 years, which I know for a lot of your listeners is probably uh, pretty weird, but I've been doing it for a very, very long time. And there's more that's happened with regards to remote work in the last two and a half years than the last 18 and a half combined. Well, if uh, if our parents' generation is to be believed, uh, then they might accuse you of having been lazy all those years ago. So, were you lazy, too lazy to go to act to 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 work in an office, or did you do the smart thing and decide that no, I'm going to work remotely? I actually did try to work in an office for about six months, and it was a horrible disaster. 
uh, I ended up actually shutting down that office because the amount of distractions that I was getting inside of that office environment was actually slowing down my productivity. So I actually take the counter to that, which is I'm significantly more productive when I can work from home and I'm not necessarily encountered with all the distractions that you get on with an on-premise environment. All right. Okay, cool. So now that we have that as a baseline, I think we can actually get into one of the reasons we're quite interested, you know, to chatting. And it's simply to say that as someone who's been, uh, who's been working for two decades remotely, one, and then two, um, created, a, created, you know, businesses that are specializing in remote work that have been in operation long before, um, we got into this pandemic. Why do you think it is that so many employers around the world are still resistant, um, to the idea of remote work that even after, um, all the research, um, has shown that Productivity levels are just are just as high, if not higher. That people have better work-life balance, and the fact that at the end of the day, people people those people that can are able to deliver results without necessarily being an office. Why, even in the face of all of that evidence, do you think so many employers are uh, so resistant to the idea of continuing um, to work remotely? I think the first and biggest reason is the newness of this movement. I believe that this has probably been the largest transition towards work since the Industrial Revolution. Uh, in January of 2020, in the U.S., 4% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. By March, 45% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. And the same data was actually proliferated throughout the rest of the world. This is the biggest transition since the Industrial Revolution, but the Industrial Revolution took us about 80 years and we did it in one month. So it's very, very new. And a lot of what I lovingly refer to as pandemic panickers simply panicked and said, well, how can we keep the operations of our business running? Remote work is the answer. But very few of those people actually recognized how to manage a remote first organization. They just simply recreated the office at home. And that's actually really counterintuitive to the vast majority of how remote pioneers in the earlier years of remote work actually operated their businesses. If I can just press on that point for a moment, what do you mean um, when you say it, it, it's counter you know, to, to that? Uh, how... How is it different when someone creates a remote first um, working environment? How does that differ from, let's say, your typical office environment? So inside of the book, we really reinforce this. We interviewed dozens of billion dollar plus remote first organizations. And the one thing that they all had in common was the lack of distractions for all of their team members. <clears throat> so there's a seminal book on this subject by Cal Newport called Deep Work, which is optimizing everyone to be as productive as humanly possible, but having everything available to them to actually accomplish that task without necessarily asking someone else for help. And we call this asynchronous management, meaning I, as an example, probably speak to the company, meaning all of my direct reports, about three hours per week. I've actually measured that specifically. So inside of the pandemic panicking world, 
Usually people are on Zoom calls eight to nine hours a day. And this really destroys people's ability to be able to work efficiently and get into that deep work state. Most asynchronous remote organizations are entirely focused on getting people to the point in which they can be highly productive and accomplish the tasks that the company are really requiring. So if I'm understanding you correctly, part of the issue is the fact that um, the distractions that people would typically see, um, whether you're talking about uh, water cooler conversations, you know, talking in the canteen, uh, someone coming over to your desk, uh, the boss literally looking over your shoulder, whatever it is, has literally been transferred um, to an online environment. Is that what you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly? Absolutely. And on top of that, the reality is that when you look at collaboration, most employers, and if you go into any MBA course, they'll say collaboration is always good. Inside of remote first teams that have recognized how to manage people from an asynchronous management perspective, they realize that actually collaboration in some cases is bad. Uh, sometimes more collaboration is not the answer. What you need to do is actually finish that meeting on Zoom that's lasted three hours and actually get everyone back to work. I like the fact that you've brought in that aspect of collaboration because I think it's the likes of Reed Hastings over at Netflix and, you know, many other, you know, corporate executives. And we hear the same rhetoric here, even here in South Africa, um, where people say that, no, you know, working in the office, it creates an environment, you know, that actually, um, you know, for, for collaborative effort and all of that. And as much as we see, we, we see and recognize the, the need for collaboration, um, I like the the fact that you're you're bringing in the counter to say that it's not always um, you know it's not always a good thing. So maybe if you could talk, talk us through some design, you know, um, I don't know what words to use. Perhaps if we could say workplace design um, on how people could uh, perhaps handle this a bit better when trying to manage remote teams or to at least set up a business in a way um, that you maximize, you know, your productivity, your your efficiency, but whilst at the same time making sure that the people that are working for you or under you or with you aren't pulling out their hair in their process. So inside of remote first organizations, we really ask ourselves a question and for your listeners, they can ask themselves the same question. What if you never could speak to anyone inside of your organization, but you still had to operate your business? How would you then operate that business? We think it actually boils down to three core tenets, which is deliberate communication, deliberate purposeful communication, democratized open processes and detailed metrics. So inside of our company, as an example, we really choose when we want to communicate with people. And we have a rule, which is no one is required to be able to immediately respond to any type of a video call or message. Because what that does is even though you think that speeds the company up in the short term, it actually on a mass scale significantly slows down the speed of that organization. If you're constantly distracted by your boss asking you for something or one of your coworkers asking you for something, it's going to really slow down the overall organization. The next one is democratized open processes. So everything inside of our organization is actually written down. 
if you wanted to know how I jump onto a podcast, as an example, there's probably about 30 or 40 process documents that connect to that. So if you came into the company, you could actually learn everything just through reading. So the manager is no longer the direct kind of person that teaches you, it's the actual platform that teaches you. And the third one is detailed metrics. So how do we record this information and document it so that anyone can consume it? And it's not necessarily playing this game of telephone where you tell your manager and your manager tells their manager and then their manager tells the boss what you actually did. Okay, I see. I definitely see, um, you know, what you're saying from that end. But the counter to that, maybe, you know, if I, if I may play uh, devil's advocate for a moment is simply to say that um, in a lot of companies, um, especially large corporate environments, um, the process documents, etc., all of that stuff is there. And uh, part of the value of even having a manager and co-workers, etc., is that people say, you know, you'd rather learn from a person than have to read through pages and pages of documents um, and presentations and stuff like that. Um, your counter to that? For us, we really focused on instructions not being easy to understand, but impossible to misunderstand. So in the vast majority of, the ca of cases, those processes that you saw, see in large corporate environments are actually quite boring. <laughs> I know for me, I've seen some of these and no one really wants to sit in endless days of boring, musty process documentation. What we do instead is we actually have an interactive wiki. So anyone can get access to that information and that information constantly evolves and optimizes specifically for the employee. So if we want to change something, we actually just make those changes directly in there. And then you can see that through the wiki process, all of the changes towards that particular document. And the other thing is we really make sure that people actually follow the process. If you want to actually change the process, we're welcome for you to be able to do it. But fundamentally for us, those are basically the laws of the organization. And as long as everyone actually follows them, we know that long-term, everyone is actually going to be way more productive and have a lot more free time to focus on deep work. Now, that certainly sounds like, uh, you know, quite an interesting one, especially if it makes um, the process of learning certain processes um at least easier in some way, more interactive, and at least a little bit more stimulating. One of the things that I found interesting that I also wanted to pick your brain on is uh, this idea of charisma. Because in your typical um, working environment, a lot of emphasis is put on a couple of things. For example, a person's leadership ability, a person's ability to speak in public, um, you know, a person's ability to network, all of these things. But, um, in listening to you talking, um, it sounds as if, at least from my understanding, um, that people can create organizations where these factors are can I say minimized or the effect, the effect is somewhat minimized where you don't necessarily have to be charismatic, for example, to become, you know, the CEO of such an organization. Because in the rest of the world, these are typically, um, some of the characteristics in business that lead to that upward mobility. Absolutely. So my friend, uh, Adi, who is currently in Cape Town, and he was born and raised there. He's what you would call 
a introverted leader. So remote work is really seeing the rise of the introverted leader. And what that effectively means is when you go into a boardroom with eight other individuals, usually it's the most charismatic person that for some reason seems to have all of their ideas adopted. If you're the best person at delivering that idea, you generally end up being the person that actually takes on that idea. That's the idea that everyone adopts. Inside of asynchronous organizations where most communication and meetings basically occur through text, the introverted leader that may not have the best wrapper <laughs> for their idea, but actually has the best information will usually be the one that ends up having their idea adopted. So inside of asynchronous organizations that are remote, you actually have to get much better at writing things down and communicating the actual facts of what you're talking about, which we think is a much more egalitarian way to be able to run a business and long term will actually produce a much higher return for not only employees, but employers as well. You mentioned something interesting about uh, um, your friend being an introverted leader. And uh, I'm just thinking about the fact that you know, obviously, not every person is a, a, a people are not monolithic, right? Um, people are different. So, do you think there are certain character types um, or personality types that are more suited um, to the remote working environment that you're describing, or do you think this is something that could sort of have broad appeal? So. In the research that has been done, and there hasn't been much because remote work went from, as I said, a cottage industry to effectively everyone on planet Earth doing it to some degree. We found that one of the biggest variables that increases remote work adoption is introversion. So that's the one biggest variable. If you're an introverted individual, you actually like working from home way more than if you're necessarily extroverted. I'm actually slightly on the extroverted scale. So it is a little bit more difficult for me to be able to work remotely than other people. With that said, however, working from home is not remote work. So the last two and a half years, we have been working at home. We have this scary virus outside that may or may not kill us. We can't go to a co-working space. We can't go to coffee shops. We can't even go and co-work at another office, as an example, one day a week. Remote work, what we're about to actually experience once we move from a pandemic to an endemic stage for COVID-19 is going to be a completely new world. We are going to have so much more freedom and get back to really what I have been experiencing for almost the last 20 years, which is the freedom to be able to actually work wherever you want, whenever you want. And I think that's actually going to be a much more successful environment, not only for introverted leaders, although they will actually end up being very, very successful in that type of environment, but also extroverted leaders will be able to get access to the people that they want to get access to if that's what basically feeds them to be more productive. And can you give us maybe a bit of an idea of what that life that you're describing to say that this is the type of life that uh, people will likely be exposed to? Can you give us what that life has looked like for you? And uh, especially if you could drill down on the two sides, because you said that uh, you've been doing this for two decades, uh, but you've also been running the business for about 11 years, which indicates that you have the view from both an employee and sort of entrepreneurship sort of point of view. So, you know, your purview and all, your, your view on both those aspects. So even this year, we've ended up seeing team members that are going back to what I like to call remote work. But historically, what I've usually done, I live in Canada, 
Canada is incredibly cold from about December till April. Uh, I usually get out of here. So I end up going to a different city every year. So I've been to Ubud in Bali. I've been to Mexico City. I've been to Playa del Carmen, to Tulum, um, to uh, Cairo actually was, I think, my 2019 location before I ended, before COVID ended up hitting everything and shutting everything down. So I've had this freedom to really kind of take work with me. Historically, work has been a place. And now it's something that you can take with you. So you can work wherever you want on planet Earth if you want to. And it's been great for me and my wife and my daughter. We can go and spend the winters working in these beautiful locations, interacting with completely different cultures, which not only makes me a much happier person, but also I honestly think reinforces back to the company. People that have very multifaceted, multiple perspectives with regards to the world, I think actually make for a more productive organization and we come up with more creative ideas because we're just exposed to a lot of different people. And that difference uh, in your experience uh, being uh, on the employee versus uh, being on the business owner side? So you have to have an employer that actually wants to adopt this type of methodology. And I suggest they go and check out the book if they're really interested in scaling remote first as a business model. But inside of our company, as an example, <clears throat> anyone can travel anywhere on planet Earth. So we have people right now in Medellin, as an example, that just moved there for the winter. We have people that were in Manila and they're now in uh, in Bali. We have people that moved from uh, Indonesia to Australia. We have people that move all over planet Earth and it's really giving everyone a much more greater kind of definition of freedom because they can choose to work where they want to work. Uh, we're really disconnecting space and time when we're talking about work. Okay, cool. So as we're sort of uh, starting to round up, uh, you know, today's discussion, um, I wanted to also just pick a, pick your brain um, just around um, maybe some of the, are there big examples of companies that are set up as being remote first um, that uh, people might know? Um, because usually most of the time when you're trying to build a broad-based consensus for some of these things, you need to point people to a big example to say xyz is doing this you know just like how apple gets rid of the headphone jack in 2015 and suddenly all new flag for uh, flagship phones after that don't feature the feature anymore so you know any big companies uh, or big businesses or you know brands that you might point us to that are remote first so Apple is a perfect example of that. About 25% of their workforce is currently back to the office and they project that only 50% of their workforce will ever return to the office at full capacity. Meta, the company that built Facebook is another example. They project 50% of their organization will be remote completely uh, within the next five years. And a really great one, which is completely remote first, is a company called Coinbase, uh, which is a cryptocurrency wallet. They actually debuted number 89 on the S&P 500 with a opening IPO valuation of $140 billion. And for the first time in the history of the SEC, they stated that their headquarters were nowhere. Uh, and they were allowed to do this because they said, if we said anything else, it wouldn't be the truth. So remote first organizations 
are proliferating all throughout the world as a lot of employees are really requesting this as a core part of the way that they do work we're going to see a massive movement uh, towards remote first organizations and i actually think that probably within the next 10 years more than half of the top 500 companies in the world will be remote or at least hybrid yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting one just to see um, how all of these things, um, what do you call this, how all of these things um, develop over time. And especially um, considering the fact that um, a lot of people are sort of getting back to normal, but I guess, you know, without exhausting the term any further. Um, that new normal. So from that point of view, then just, um, you know, as we end off, um, your advice especially for i'm trying to think how best to put this but perhaps for team members that do find themselves in a situation where they've got an old school boss and they the the old school boss was just waiting you know for things to open up so that they can bring people back to the office but um this person knows that they could literally do and have been doing their job uh, remotely for a while and they want to be able to convince uh, their people, you know, your advice for that, because I'm, I'm sure that from a practicality point of view, that's one of the things that a lot of people, um, you know, actually grappling with at the moment to say, I know I can do this remotely, but uh, my organization, my my employer is um, is forcing us to do this thing, even though um, it doesn't really serve that much of a purpose. Mm. Well, so other than going to the Running Remote Conference or checking out our book, <clears throat> I would say probably the biggest thing that I would bring to an employer would be number one, I've been doing this for the past two and a half years. What has actually changed? Has my productivity gone down or has it gone up? Has it remained the same? Why are you not happy with me working remotely versus not working remotely? Another big point to be able to bring up is the actual cost savings. The biggest cost outside of salaries is actually the cost of an office space. So on average, remote first organizations save approximately 30 cents on the dollar inside of their P&L. So it's not only good for employees, but it's also good for employers. And then the last thing that I would really reinforce with them is you just were recreating the office remotely. You haven't actually learned how to manage remote teams. And for that, you obviously have to come back to uh, the Running Remote Conference or check out our book as well. All right, cool. So that's been us. We're talking to uh, Liam Martin just around, um, you know, all of the things that have to do um, with uh, remote first organizations, sort of departing from uh, the remote working um, type of conversations that people have been having. Liam saying that um, what's effectively happened over the last two years is that through the panic, a lot of organizations simply recreated um, the office, but in a virtual space together. Um, with the different distractions that would normally bother people um, in an office environment. And he's saying that there's a lot that needs to be learned uh, for people that are going to, you know, then decide to have a proper remote first type of, uh, you know, environment and to, to get out of the, some of the more traditional paradigms. Liam, the name of that book? 
the name of the book is actually Running Remote as well. Running Remote. So it's an interesting one, and we're just going to see how this conversation, um, you know, how this conversation develops. It'll be good to chat to Liam, you know, in a couple of months, uh, maybe a year from now, just to see, you know, where where things would have progressed, and also at the same time, just to see um, what type of conversations people will be having um, about this topic and whether or not the needle would have been moved. Liam, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is Mudiwa's Take. Uh, Looking back on this conversation, it makes one think that there are probably a number of businesses around the world that people have not heard about simply because um, they're remote first organizations and by virtue of being remote first organizations and um, being companies that sort of fly under the radar it doesn't necessarily mean that these are companies that are small and not making money Um, one could realistically see um, millions you know if not hundreds of millions being actually made um, in an environment like that, especially um, if the business model is sound. And uh, I think it's it's quite an interesting one and it's so counter on so many different points um, to what we are taught about the world of business, about the world um, of, uh, you know, of, of, of working, you know, things like charisma, right? I just pinpoint that because a lot of the time people talk about the charismatic leader, the person who's able to, you know, drive the, you know, drive the troops and also at the same time speak very well. And all of those things are very important. But when you hear someone like Liam saying that in a, a remote working environment, it's not necessarily, you know, needed, you know, then you have quite an interesting situation where you then ask yourself, right, do I throw away everything that I've learned or do you use everything that you've learned in addition with all of the new information to be able to capitalize um, on the new trends, but also at the same time making sure, um, you know, that you can just exploit um, the technologies that are out there, the new business models. The, the, the world of work is changing and... Um, I don't think it's actually going to go back to, you know, what it was. I like the analogy to the Industrial Revolution. It sounds very dramatic. But at the time of the Industrial Revolution, I don't think people necessarily knew because some of these things, uh, as much as we call it a revolution, probably took um, a number of years for it to actually be seen. And we are, we are about two years into this, uh, into this process right now. What's the next year going to look like where... COVID is likely a, you know, a less important factor, you know, day by day, because it seems that's what people are thinking about. But at the same time, you know, people just recognizing that I don't necessarily need to be in the typical work environment to produce results, to do work. And also at the same time, for those that do uh, go the virtual route, how do you make sure that you don't recreate the office um, when you're out of the office?
And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter with hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.